This hour brought to you by Mark Spain Real Estate. Go to MarkSpain.com and start packing. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. It's a Friday on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ already off of the rails before we even hop on. I think we're happy to try to get to the end of the weekend and then see what the Carolina Panthers can do in their last regular season game against the New Orleans Saints. How much are they playing for? How much are the jobs of the players? How much are they playing for? Whether you're Sam Darnold, whether you're you know any of these other guys that have a lot to show at the end of the regular season going into the offseason. We'll get to all of that today sam darnold versus andy dalton what quarterback do you expect to play better we have josh graham of wsjs going to be joining us to talk some college basketball and uh, i believe i believe we're going to have tyrone corbin the assistant coach for the charlotte hornets join us at some point today i had his basketball card back in the day same that's exactly that's crazy that's exactly what i think of immediately yeah. upon seeing Tyrone Corbin because you had those coaches cards, right? Well, yeah, and it, but I had his card when he played for the Jazz. So, yeah, I had that too. Yeah. So I had, well, I guess the coaches card, that was mid-2000s? Yeah. Late 2000s? I had stopped collecting by then. Well, I, I had so many different basketball cards. For real? I mean, oh, I had... I, I still, still have mine. Same. I still have a lot of them and, and some of them I put in display cases, but it's crazy when you go back and look at your basketball cards and they're all worth nothing. I know mine's aren't worth spit. Because... I just, they oversaturated the market. Well, not only that, you had to know which packs to buy. Then you had to buy, like, the whole set to get the inserts. And, you know, when you're a kid and you're getting $10 allowance, I couldn't afford to go in there and buy the 6 $7 pack. I had to get a pack of cards and some pages to put them in. So I couldn't buy the expensive ones that's worth all the money. All I wanted to do was check everything off on getting every player possible. So mm. if I didn't have a star, then I wanted, like Larry Bird, for some reason, it's not like they're crazy rare, but when I was collecting as a kid, I didn't have one. So I needed to get a Larry Bird card. And then there's so many different KG, and especially what the, the rookie sensation cards, oh, yeah, where yeah, all yeah. of them are rookies, yeah. and so you think you have something valuable. Yeah. And, and then their claim to fame I have a KG rookie card, right? And it says one out of ever so many, one out of 35,000. Right. So they put <laughs> they put it on the card like it's meaningful and then I think, "Oh yeah, this has got to be worth a ton of money." And it's worth maybe a dollar, not even. And in fact, if it's worth a dollar, then you probably have a pretty valuable card. The the most valuable card I have though, I have a Michael Jordan it's a Fleer, and it's got the black lightning in the background, and mm. it's a it's a still photo of him shooting a fadeaway, yeah. and that's actually worth five hundred dollars, even more in oh, wow. top tier condition. And yeah. it's hard to find cards like that. Yeah, remember you would go to like the card shows, there'd be the guy like in the middle of the mall with the cards, and he'd have the ones that would be in the I, hard plastic. I fell victim I've to got it. a couple of those. I have a uh, I got an Allen Iverson rookie. That's a thing of Fleer Ultra. How I much you pay for it? I think at that time I paid like ten dollars. I got him, Marbury, and Carrie Kittles. Oh man, you, all you three went, of those. You, you definitely you went with the uh, the Northeast part, I guess. AI. Yeah, I got Virginia, all three but, of those. But um, yeah, the AI I thought 
was a crown jewel. But. So so people are still doing this. I have friends. Oh, I know that, that make this a is ton light of money. Line. That mean wow. Wes, it's actually stupid money they make if you invest in it and you invest the right way. What my friends will do is they'll invest in some young baseball player. They'll get some refractor green edge rookie build on it, allow that player to exceed expectations, mm. and then flip it for a profit. And then they'll pay for a Luka Doncic rookie for, I mean, I'm talking, they'll pay 2000 And then Luka wow. goes for a 60-20 triple-double, and that value goes up. Wow. I mean, all you have to do, and especially when these guys make Hall of Fames, mm-hmm. especially if they're easily, you know, Pat Mahomes, I've got a buddy with a crazy valuable Justin Herbert rookie, and they're just flipping them for profit, for profit because the card market now has understood not to oversaturate it. And so people are, you, you can't buy cards at Target. People will line up and done. And, you know, that's what I used to do is wait at Target as, and the impulse buy line, just pick up the 100 trash cards right. and then just go collect. Or just get a pack or two. I didn't and that's what, what I'm saying. Doing. And I, I see now I'm like, man, I should have been buying whole sets. But, I mean, you couldn't yeah. afford that back in the day. Ask your mom, like, yo, can I get $70 to get a whole set of cars? No way that's happening. My nerd boy self would do the whole, all right, let's alphabetize my cards. And I'm talking thousands of cards. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and alphabetize them. Let's go my favorite players in this card. I was just handling them constantly. The edges are going to get bent. It's just ruining the value of it all. <laughs> are you too young to have collected cards like that, Fitty? Or did you collect a lot of basketball cards yourself? I have an expansive amount of football cards that I have in a big binder. that They've got the little, I guess, the card yeah, holder thing, right? Um, and because I'm I'm such a geek, like I have them in alphabetical order, from AFC to NFC by division by team. So a hey, same way, okay, same so, thing. Um, I want to get back into collecting baseball cards. Like I've asked for them for like stocking stuff or gifts and stuff like that for Christmas. Haven't gotten them though, but I, I'm a big card geek. Yeah, I mean they're fun. I I, I mean Darren Ravel would do this. Your boy Fitty. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, I think he would often look at cards on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, there's still people that love to just open up a pack just for the sheer thrill. Yeah, of and I used to like the, the uh, some of the animated ones that they would do, like artsy pictures. What I had oh, crazy yeah. Deion Sanders one that had the oh, Sean, half and half, half of him in the Braves uni, half in the Falcons. Like I had a oh, Sean Kemp one, and the Sean yeah, Kemp one was a lot those, of fun. Yeah. MJ, it's funny to see plenty of MJ cards were made. But they're all worth a dollar. It doesn't matter, right? Like, even if it is, you know, one of 80,000 in the world, it's still going to be a dollar at least because Michael Jordan still holds that value. You can text in, contribute to the conversation. Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Yes, that, that, that's real classic. Yeah, that that's like <laughs> Honus Wagner tobacco T206 card stuff. 704 number wrote in, uh, sold a Chase Young auto, one out of 10 for $600 the oh, other day. So I might need to start looking into this. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that make crazy money. My father, uh, Miles from South Park wrote in, my father has a Jim Brown rookie card that's 60 years old that may be valued at 2500 So that's a lot of money right there. Stanford P wrote in, I just uh, sold two Shohei Otani rookies for 600 each. Oh, and then so, yeah. So it's it's funny. He said my passion is the T206 yeah, how tobacco about those cards. Funny story. We would always joke with my uncle about when he was a kid, he collected football cards. And you know how much some of those cards from the 70s and stuff were. Uh-huh. And sometimes for giggles, my grandma told him, the story was that my grandma kept telling him to put his cards up. And he did not do it. 
she had no clue or foresight that these would be worth things. She threw all his cards away. So we go uh, through the book and be like, hey, this 1976 such and such <laughs> is worth 2500 He's like, man, I probably had two or three of those. This is what we need to do. <laughs> this is what we need to do with this conversation, though, and apply it somehow. If you could invest in Panthers cards okay. to exceed the value, yeah. who would those players be? I do want to get to a few other texts. Um, actually, somebody wrote in that they had that same. Yeah, so Spaceman wrote in, I've got the Dion card Wes speaks of. It's worth about 25 bucks. Yeah. Which is pretty valuable. Yeah, man, I think you. it was Score or one of those that had those. Um, Simon says, uh, he writes in, I'm rooting for Trevor Lawrence to succeed simply because I bought a rookie card. And if he does, it's a good investment. You know, those those guys that will have that huge leap, just like the stock market, I'm not groundbreaking. That's basically what it yeah, is. 100%. So, yeah, a lot of uh, interesting card scenarios here. If you could invest, Fiddy, we'll start with you, in any of these young Panthers careers, because Hall of Fame, right, that makes a card crazy valuable. Can, can you get to even flirting with a possible Hall of Fame appearance? Who are the guys that you're trying to invest in right now? Brian Burns is the number one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, Burns, maybe J.C. Horn, if he can stay healthy and become a shutdown, <laughs> oh, no, we can't avoid it. corner. We can't even have a fun card conversation. <laughs> and then he is stirring up the pot. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's really those two that come to mind. Because, I mean, like D.J. Moore, I think, you know, he'd have to become something, you know, otherworldly for his value to really go up. And I can't really think of any, anyone else because CMC is no longer here. He's in the Bay. So, the, the DJ Moore, by the way, 120 yards away from a 1,000-yard season, even with it being 17 games, I think when we look back in hindsight how many 1,000-yard years you have, that's going to be huge because look at what we're doing with Mike Evans. That's the immediate thing you go to with his Hall of Fame candidacy. It's look how many you know straight 1,000-yard seasons Mike Evans has started his career with. Now, DJ didn't have that his rookie year. But DJ Moore is doing that now. I actually think that's a pretty big incentive for him to reach. And if it's anything like we did with Christian McCaffrey when we tried to make him the 1,000-1,000 guy in Carolina and yeah. they just threw it to him 15 times against Indianapolis the second to last game of the season, I wonder if they're going to try to allow DJ Moore to hit that incentive. So I think that matters. But I think Brian Burns has to be the guy because you're just hoping he keeps having these double-digit sack seasons and – even when you talk about players before the age of 25, the amount of sacks they were able to reach. Brian Burns, I, th I think number one, certainly up there. Burns Burns is the number one guy I would choose just because of the sack totals. Yeah, I mean, he's the number one guy I would pick and, and really only him uh, at this point. I can't really think of anybody that yeah. would just shoot up to where they would just have high value. I mean, if Burns keeps it going, keeps going with double-digit sack seasons, like I said, his value will continue to grow. I mean, Icky Aquano is interesting I mean, just offensive linemen, linemen don't yeah. really, you know what I'm saying, move the needle like that as right. much. It's got to be, it's got to be QB or, I mean, the the, yeah. the quarterbacks are the ones. The offensive linemen, as much as I hope Icky Quanu does get that make Sam the Hall Hey, bro. <laughs> how how many times are people investing in the Sam Darnold card now? <laughs> after this recent stretch of games, yeah. um, Mint Hillbilly wrote in. Wes wants that J.C. Horn rookie card, right? Because of the projection he's on. A good corner, it'll be decent value. Yeah. What, what about Jeremy Chin and his Hall oh, of Fame God. candidacy? <laughs> are you going to invest in Jeremy Chin? Uh, uh, an average safety that. 
A lot of people call it game record. It's really mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll invest in that. Um, Stanford P wrote in. <laughs> uh, this is true, too. My, my brother is really into basketball cards, and Stanford wrote in. No Panthers, but LaMelo cards are moving yes, up. Yes, yes. That, that's probably the athlete most in Charlotte to invest in, especially with his popularity. Right. Especially also with him finishing seventh in the Eastern Conference fan voting results among all of the other guards. And so we'll get to that later on in the show today. Josh Graham, again, WSJS, going to be helping us talk about some ACC college hoops. And coming up next, we'll go Sam Darnold versus Andy Dalton, two QBs whose football cards you're probably not investing in. If you want to, hats off to you. But we will talk about that comparison. Sam Darnold did speak to media as well. And we'll discuss if Darnold is the bridge QB. What does that contract look like? Didn't really get off of the bus, but we had a fun card conversation. I do want to apply some of that to some of the topics later on in the show today. Plenty more to come on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM. It's Weston Walker off and rolling on a Friday. Thanks for joining us on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can text us via the Garage Door Guru text line. The number to text is 704-570-9610. We had the show really lead off with some unprepared basketball, baseball, football card conversation. A lot of people wrote in because it's a big thing even still to this day. A lot of people are still out there card collecting right now because of the added value that's taken place really within the last couple of years. 704 number wrote in, going to get a Devin Funches NBA card when he makes it. You saw he was invited to the combine? Oh, he did get invited to the combine? Yeah. I saw his footage online and saw that he was playing, but I I didn't lend it much credit. Well, maybe not the NBA combine, but Mm. he got invited to some workout or something like that. So, yeah, Devin Funches, the the, the video that he put out, there were a couple of shots that ratted all across the rim and then would go in. Which is fine. He still made them. (laughs) But usually when NBA college prospects or players are putting out a highlight video, it's just straight Drano, nothing but net. (laughs) And Devin Funches is out here hitting fadeaways. Bang, 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 Not bang. Not to mention, too, you, you know, you're it. talking about he's six four, so that's big in the NFL, but in the NBA, that's not big. Isn't and that funny? Like The quickness and all that, and I was like, nah, dog. Well, when you see a Rico Gathers or Mo Ali Cox come in that played college football, or excuse me, that played college basketball and then eventually serve up his tight end, right? We see that all the time, and they're huge, and they're six six. And that's a tweener at best. Right. I mean, P.J. Washington is a small a small ball center in the NBA, and dude is pushing 6'9". Right. I mean, he's 6'8", something like that. Yeah. And it's crazy how tall NBA players are. Yeah, man. I, like we were saying yesterday, when I watched Jaron Jackson warm up last year from court level, I was like, that's an NBA player. Yeah. Seven he, feet, 7'1". I, mean, I think he's 6'11", like 6'11 and some change or something like that. I Is he seven feet? I don't think he's that tall, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm wrong. I just know his wingspan goes for days. A couple other people writing in <laughs> a text name that I can't read on air. 6'10", I, sorry. Oh, well, still tall. I, I don't know how this guy got this text name, but I'm not going to read it on air. I'm just going to say that he says... He has two Randy Johnson, Don Russ error cards from Ooh, 1991. Yeah, I know, right? What a what a throwback. And they're both listed for $5,000 a piece on eBay. Awesome uh, Randy Johnson error cards. And he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Has he gone yet? 
Uh, has he? I'm, I mean, he will be. The unit. It, it, he's got to be. He, he's got to be in the unit. Hole. He's he looking at baseball popping up on y'all again. Yeah. Like that fitting? Yeah, Big got, unit. That got, was my man. You guys can do a, a baseball podcast as well. <laughs> Somebody said they sold an Ichiro Suzuki card for $860. Yeah, 2015 he went. Okay, I figured he was. And then somebody said that uh, their dumbass collected 1 to 64 scale NASCAR cars. You know, sometimes that happens, man. That's okay. Um, DJ Skinner wrote Justin Herbert rookie card. He's got four of them worth $800. And then the last one I'll read, Scott, the XFL honk. He wrote in that the PJ Walker XFL cards are going crazy right now. Yeah, And then lastly, too, then we can finally get off of this. But uh, when you buy a card of a guy that you think is going to be the man and it doesn't work out, because I remember I was Lawrence Phillips crazy guy rested dead and he did some horrible things in his lifetime. But. I mean, I thought that he was going to be. After that bowl game, when he came out there 2.30 and was running like that, I thought he was about to rip it up. And I got his rookie call. I was obsessed with Lawrence I Phillips. mean, yeah, I have a buddy that got completely burned because he invested all in in some San Diego Padres catcher that he thought was going to be awesome and then eventually never panned out. <laughs> and so that's just how it is. But he spent all of the money on the, all the different forms of the cards, refractor, different edges oh, and man. stuff like that. Yeah, that's just how it goes. All right, let's get to the actual game this weekend between the Panthers, between the Saints, and maybe the game within the game at the quarterback spot because the Saints don't have their quarterback future figured out. They have Andy Dalton playing that position right now. Carolina, while it's led to some debate on this show and elsewhere, I don't know if they have the future completely figured out with Sam Darnold, despite him playing a lot better in these past five, six games or so. Here's Sam Darnold discussing how they don't need to get re-motivated to play this really good Saints team just because they're eliminated from playoff contention. I don't necessarily think we got to get re-motivated. Um, I think for us, it's just we've always taken it one game at a time, and you know we're just going to continue to do that. We, we, I thought we had a really good practice um, on offense today. Um, wasn't really paying much attention when the defense was out there, but you know special teams look good too. Um, but yeah, you know I thought we had a really good practice today. We're going to put together a, another good few days of practice, and you know uh, we're going to be ready to go by Sunday. Obviously, it's a really good Saints team. Um, they got a lot of vets on defense. They're really good with, you know, they've been in the same system for a little bit now with uh, with Dennis Allen. So um, we know they're going to have a good plan. And right. like I said, they got really good <laughs> players. Um, they're good on the outside. They're good up front. Yeah. Um, good in the middle. They're linebackers, obviously. So um, we're going to have our hands full, but we're excited. You buying what he's selling, Wes Bryant? I mean, I just uh, sometimes I just wonder why. People even bother to talk to these guys when they're gonna tell. They should just take the mic from as soon as they start with like the 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 canned answers. They should just take the mic and just move on to somebody else. I mean, if they were so good, then why the hell aren't they going to the playoffs? If you just said that they're good up front, they're good on the edge, they're good here, they're good at. That. Thanks, Sam. The, I just about thanks, man. The, the most honest we've ever seen a coach or a player discuss the other team, and and maybe this isn't true <laughs> from wide receivers to cornerbacks or maybe individual position battles. But when Jeff Saturday tweeted out that the Raiders look absolutely awful and then got the Colts job like two weeks later or a week <laughs> later, that's the most honest we've ever seen a head coach talk about the opposing team. That's it right there. And Sam Darnold staying status quo while giving the Saints all the respect in the world. And Andy Dalton might be giving Andy Dalton some respect because, Wes, your boys at PFF, uh-huh. if you look at their grade for Andy Dalton, since he's taken over as starting quarterback for New Orleans, the dude grades at 86 overall on offense and as an 85 passer towards the top in the league. 
I mean, when Andy Dalton has played, according to Pro Football Focus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they have been very high on what he's been able to accomplish this season. Now, we know that he has not been one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL as far as top five goes. He was always interesting to talk about when he was with Cincinnati because Cincinnati would always get to the postseason. They would always lose under Marvin Lewis, and we know how that went for them for quite some time. And he was always intriguing to discuss. But then he's bounced around, gone to Dallas was the backup, and then here he is with New Orleans taking over for Jameis Winston. And then as they've tried to figure that out, he's been the guy going forward. What do you make of Andy Dalton and even specifically, Wes, as he compares and battles Sam Darnold this uh, weekend as the two will play? Well, the thing is, you know, you look at what he's doing this season since he became the starter in week four. He's got the best completion percentage of his career, almost 70 percent holding it down at 67.1. But when you look at these two guys, they even look almost the same in their uniforms as far as their build. But to get to the nitty-gritty, as you know I like to do, if you look at Andy Dalton over the first four seasons of his career, he threw 66 interceptions. He had 15 fumbles. Sam Darnold had 52 interceptions and 29 fumbles. But in his fifth season, Andy Dalton went 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and Sam Darnold is sitting there now in his fifth season – at seven touchdowns and one interception. So just a small omen to look at because the first thing I thought about was, for one, they look similar and build on the field and kind of the way that they play. But then when I started digging into the numbers, this was a guy that was highly, you know, high turnovers. His first four seasons in the league as evidenced by the numbers I supplied. But then in the fifth season, he got it together and things started to come together for him. And, you know, he hit a streak where he was playing some good football in Cincinnati and so, you know, it just kind of begs the question with Sam sitting there, seven touchdowns, one interception, the performance he had last week where he really had to uh, provide the Panthers with a lot of production and just wondering could they have a similar career trajectory where he could become not necessarily an elite starter, but a quality starting quarterback. I mean, Andy Dalton, he's a three-time pro bowler, even if that doesn't mean he was one of the top quarterbacks in the league probably was heavily influenced based on the Bengals overall success every single year. He comes into a situation. I believe he was like a second round pick, if I'm not mistaken, yes. but goes into Cincinnati and has a winning season every year until 2016. And he was drafted 2011. It was the same draft as Cam Newton was selected. Number one overall. It was mm-hmm. those two guys, I believe is the best QBs from that draft class because we know Jake Locker wasn't, we know Blaine Gabbert certainly wasn't either. 9 and 7, 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 10 5 and 1. I believe that tie came against the Carolina Panthers. And then 10 and 3, 2015, they eventually move on from him, you know, not too long after that. My question is, would you be cool if you got that Andy Dalton as your starting quarterback for 5 6 years with this Carolina team or would you rather shoot for the stars a little more and have a star potential star at the position even if it takes maybe a couple years more worth time? Well, I mean, you look at his numbers after that and the subsequent seasons when he started to turn around. He goes 18 and 8 touchdowns to interceptions, 25 to 12, 21 11. I mean, for the Panthers and what it is your philosophy would be if you are to keep Steve Wilkes as your head coach, or even with uh, Jim Harbaugh, if you want to have that ground and pound philosophy with your coach. I mean, I think those are very respectable numbers uh, for your quarterback at that position. You know, and all his completion percentages were at or around 60 percent. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think those are solid numbers. You could live with that for the type of football team and philosophy that you want to have. Fiddy, I know you really liked this comparison when we were talking about it pre-show, the comparison between these two QBs. How similar do you think they are? And would you be cool with an Andy Dalton prime type of quarterback here with Carolina while trying to build and allocate assets elsewhere? Absolutely, because this guy was a perennial top 12, 14 quarterback in a five, six year run where he took this team or he took the Bengals to the playoffs on a year in, year out basis. I actually think Sam Darnold's arm is better than Andy Dalton's for whatever that's worth. I think he has better Probably stronger, yeah. I think it's stronger. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, um, I I think his footwork and his ability to make plays with his feet is also something that Andy Dalton just didn't do in Cincinnati. And the thing about Andy Dalton, everywhere he's gone since he left being the starting quarterback for the Bengals, is he has momentarily stabilized that quarterback position, whether it was in Chicago whether it was in Dallas, whether it's now in New Orleans. And that's all we're asking Sam to do is to stabilize the position until we find the guy. No longer a guy, the guy. And uh, and, and so I really do think this is something that Sam Darnold can be going in for the next couple of years because I've counted the table and said, hey, he should be this team starting quarterback next year. They got to figure out what that looks like from a money standpoint. The biggest difference between our opinions on Sam Darnold is not necessarily that he should or should not be starting. You view him as he absolutely should. And I have no problem with that as long as it does not deter you from drafting a QB. Because if that position lines up, if you still view Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, wherever you're selecting, Hendon Hooker, whatever QB that's kind of in line to go where you're selecting and you view that person favorably, then I hope that Sam Darnold's play in the last part of the season does not deter you from drafting that QB. You're in a situation now where you're not going to get a top five pick. So CJ Stroud probably going to be off of the board. I know there are some mocks that have Stroud dropping all the way to nine. I just don't see it, especially after the bowl performance where he still looked very good. So if he goes in the top five and you can't package some of your picks to move up to go get him, then I, I just I'm just going to operate under that assumption. Maybe, maybe they can. But if, if we operate under that assumption and then you're dealing with the other QBs I just named if if you like him, I just don't want you to not draft him well. You know, we already have Sam Darnold, who played well the last seven games of the season. That that can't be the deciding factor in why you draft or don't draft a certain player. Add as much talent as you can, and if you have a quarterback that you really like that you think could be that guy, I I want him to go after him, especially with that star potential. Because Fiddy's right, I'd be cool with Sam Darnold being Andy Dalton for next year, maybe the year after that, if he continues this. We're not even totally sure he's going to do this, by the way. I mean, it could come all unraveling next season because we've seen that from Sam before, right? Like, Andy Dalton did this immediately in the NFL. Now, Sam is doing that after what was an atrocious start, albeit with a bad team. But Fiddy also said momentarily he's he stabilized the QB position, which is fine. That means you can get a job. But I want to thrive, Wes. I don't want to survive. I want to thrive. That's what I want to do at the QB spot, and I hope it doesn't deter them from doing so. Yeah, I agree with your philosophy. I think, you know, he should be a bridge guy because, again, I don't see if I had to gamble on it. I would not. I don't see him uh, continuing this type of efficiency going forward because I feel like just at some point, you know, in the words of Ray Lewis, at some point you're going to have to play football. And at some point, you know, he's going to have to be the guy that's (laughs) going to have to produce for them 
you know, in big moments. And I just don't see him as that type of guy. I just don't think he's dependable with the amount of turnovers. I mean, that he's had, I mean, 29 fumbles. I mean, that's so many, 52 interceptions. I know it was with the Jets, but still, that's a lot of turnovers. And, 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 and again, to be fair, right, like trying to be as fair as possible to Sam Darnold, it's clearly the best offensive line he's ever had, no doubt about that. Probably the most competent coaching he's ever had, with even with Ben McAdoo, who's had his success before. So, you know, uh, to be fair there, yes, absolutely. You know, there, there has been some re- recent success. And I guess the other big question is, what does that contract look like? Because it is going to come down to money with somebody you view as a bridge QB. And now that a lot of Panthers fans are pounding the table for him to be their at least bridge QB next season, I imagine some other fans or some other teams might be interested in a former first round pick that could potentially bridge the gap between whatever starter they want in the near future. So is there going to be like a mediocre bidding war between some of these other NFL franchises and Carolina? And you got to remember, too, you're most likely going to get a different offensive coordinator. As much as I think Ben McAdoo has done a better job as the season has gone on, there's a lot of people that still don't want him. I don't think Steve Wilkes is going to bring him back. So Sam Darnold has to come back with a new play caller, and it's going to be you know another one with Joe Brady. I mean, he's had so many different play callers. He's going to have to do that anyway, right? Whether he goes to a different NFL franchise or he stays here, yeah. you're probably going to be dealing with a different play caller. So I, I just wonder how much he would want to stay in Carolina compared to going to a different NFL franchise. It'll be interesting to compare some of those situations. Yeah, I think there will be some loyalty involved, especially with the turnaround that he's had. I feel like that he will want to maybe get some continuity to maybe keep him playing well. You know, but at the same time, that bag talks. So, you know, we know how quarterback hungry a lot of these teams and franchises are, especially if he comes out and finishes strong on Sunday. He'll have a lot of momentum going into the offseason. There will be teams that will feel like, you know, that – that their favorite Sam if saying if we get him into our system and with the way he's playing now and if we can just get him right. in our building, we can keep him going at the trajectory that he's going right now. So it's going to be a very interesting portion of the Panthers offseason. Yeah, and I do wonder still, by the way, that relationship between McAdoo and Darnold, and I don't know how strong it was. What I do know is that we know McAdoo was not a fan of Baker Mayfield in the pre-draft process. And that was his first quarterback that he dealt with. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to imagine McAdoo was championing somebody else, whether it be PJ Walker, whether it be Sam Darnold and not Baker Mayfield. And of course it's worked out a lot better than when Mayfield was playing the first month and a half or so of the season. We'll move on and talk a little bit more about college basketball, ACC hoops, and to help us discuss all of that is going to be Josh Graham of WSJS. He'll be joining us in just a moment. Not before the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got? Oh, we got some crumble cookies, too. That's a nice surprise. Big shout out to the Charlotte Hornets. Now it just got real in the studio. Yeah. On, Jeff Brink. Boss man brought some. Put him over here. To the break. (laughs) I like like how everything stopped. I was about to go to the Fitty Flash. (laughs) Jeff Rickard walks on in here with a box of crumble cookies. Wes, like, wait, Jeff, don't leave. And everything stopped as we were trying to go to the Fitty Flash. I'm I'm sorry, Jeff. Like, you bring in crumble cookies. I'm worried for you and Fitty. If I hand them to Wes, you Mm -hmm. guys may nice. You you might not see that box. No, I'm watching my figure, so I'm only going to have one. (laughs) It doesn't look like it the way you just reacted. Like, it looked like you were. About to die. Well, I've been on eating that. good this week, so I like a oh. you know a little treat. Wes is snarling at us with that crumble about get away, get away Remember right now. Kyle and Evan 
Thank coming you. in still too. Uh, That's true. No, oh no, they're 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 on a diet. It. I'd be a good employee eating the their cookies for them, so they don't have to be tempted to eat cookies. Yeah, thank you, Fitty. There is a rationalization for everything. And Fitty's already had about a hundred grams of sugar yeah. already today. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. know that. He's gonna add that onto the pile of toaster strudels and pop tarts. Now, right, Fitty, what cookies. you got? What's your first Fitty flash? Um, <laughs> some breaking news coming out of the world of wrestling. Which Wes really cares a lot about because he <laughs> likes to watch good acting. But former WWE CEO Vince McMahon is unretiring and will return to the company to fully capitalize on the upcoming media right negotiations he announced uh, yesterday evening. Of course, he retired over the summer following alleg- allegations of sexual misconduct that he paid through NDA payments totaling up to 196 million dollars. Wes, you wanted to talk about this. You're a big WWE guy. <laughs> what do you think about the man who built this empire coming out of retirement so he could get some more uh, Skrilla? Yeah, you like I, to say. yeah, I don't like it at all. I hope he doesn't get involved in the creative aspects because a lot of people were thrilled about him going. He's still very old school, stuck in his ways guy. And a lot of stuff that he was doing before he retired doing air quotes was not working uh, with a lot of the fans, include myself, some of the storylines and things they had with Triple H in there. You know, they were getting some fresh new storylines, and they were giving some people some some second chances, bringing people back. So I hope he doesn't come in there trying to exert his, uh, you know, will, so to speak. Although, if, if he makes Wes Bryant some uh, some way a part of the broadcast for the wrestling now, world, that might change some things. then I welcome the return to the wrestling world for one <laughs> Vince McMahon. It's Josh Graham joining us next to talk some college hoops. Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM. corner, although we're really trying to shake off the cobwebs and organize the chaos that happened during the break. <laughs> right as we were about to go to break, Jeff Rickard, boss man, walked in with a whole box of crumble cookies. Big shout out to the Charlotte Hornets for handing that out. What flavors did you guys get? Because you immediately jumped on it. I just stuck the chocolate chip. Chocolate chip, normal. Fitty, did you get a cookie? I, I got, I think it's like their cookies and cream and then I've oh, got... That sounds good. I think it's like Maybe oh, macadamia nut if, with some... Uh, if that's Fruity Pebbles, then I'm stealing it. I don't it, think it's, it's Fruity not, Pebbles. It's not but. Breakfast Edition. That's my favorite thing that Crumble Cookies does, though. If they bring out the Breakfast Edition of the cookies, oh, man, I'm eating that in, like, three seconds. <laughs> All you, of it. Do you ever crumble when you look at their menu? <laughs> so bad out of you. That was, yeah, that was a little Thank rough, you, Wes, for backing me up. All right, big college hoops night on Wednesday. We saw North Carolina pull away in the end against Wake Forest, and we saw NC State pull away from uh, Duke immediately after tip-off. To help us discuss it all, we'll head to the Body Works Plus guest hotline and welcome Josh Graham of WSJS Radio. Find him on Twitter, at Josh Graham Radio. Before we get into some college hoops, though, Josh, are you – particularly interested in crumble cookies is that something that is a part of your world yet see i was hoping you were gonna unironically and uncondescendingly ask me you want a cookie because anybody who's ever said that sentence before means that in the sense of oh oh you you were able to park your car correctly oh oh look at you you had a great day you want a cookie 
In this case, I actually genuinely do want a cookie because it does sound pretty good. I mean, mm. Josh, no, this is not some insult. I'm genuinely asking you if you would like a cookie and if you like crumble cookies. This is it, You're right. So often it's sarcastic. It is wrapped in being an insult. No, I'm genuinely curious if you would want one. So maybe we can make it happen. One of these days, we will split some crumble cookies together. But right now, we'll have to settle for talking some college basketball. And a big win for North Carolina against Wake Forest. It might feel weird to say, but they needed it. After that loss to Pittsburgh, we know the problems they've suffered at the beginning of the season. Josh, what was your biggest takeaway um, from North Carolina after that win against the Deeks? Honestly, my takeaway was from the other end of the ledger. North Carolina is going to be an NCAA tournament team. You look at the way they put together their route of conference and the wins they had right down the street from you guys against Michigan and beating Ohio State. They're going to be fine, and we saw that what they're capable of last March. Wake Forest, on the other hand, missed out on the NCAA tournament, and the reason why was because they couldn't accrue enough quad one wins. Now, they went on the road and beat Wisconsin. They beat Virginia Tech. They beat Duke, so they're off to a good start, and they're still in a good position. But when Pete Nance goes out in the first two minutes of this game and Caleb Love doesn't hit his first three until about six, seven minutes left to go, there was a feeling in the building that Wake Forest is going to win this game and they probably would have if it wasn't for 15 turnovers that turned to 32 points off turnovers. Steve Forbes called them atomic bomb turnovers that quickly turned to layups or dunks. Wake Forest missed a golden opportunity with Nance being out of that game and going on the road in what certainly would have held up as a quad one win. But from the North Carolina end of it, you benefit from those turnovers. You win a game at home. And then tomorrow at a strange tip-off time, 11.30 a.m., you've got Notre Dame coming in, and Notre Dame's been down this year. North Carolina probably should be in good position to continue the hot streak at home. They're currently 7-0. and Well, and, and Josh, I'm with you as far as them making the NCAA tournament. They're just too talented, and I imagine that absolutely would be happening to this team. But what is the likelihood of them reaching their ceiling at the end? I mean, do we just kind of put our palms up in the air and say, who knows with this team that has been so inconsistent? Or do you genuinely feel that they're going to figure it all out because of the run they had last year and because of the expectations that we had coming into this season? I'm so conflicted on it because we saw this movie a year ago with UCLA. UCLA, remember, barely made it into the tournament in 2021 made it to the Final Four before losing at the buzzer in the Final Four to Jalen Suggs to get that great half-court shot. A year later, they bring everybody back. Oh, this team's going to make the Final Four. They don't even win the Pac-12, and they get knocked out by North Carolina in the Sweet 16 where Caleb Love hit an iconic shot, one of the first of many iconic shots he had during that tournament run. So when I look at Carolina, I still see many of the same problems that we saw in the regular season from last year. And what's kind of frustrating with the way people talk about last season, it almost seems like everybody wants to take Carolina at their best from last year, but nobody wants to take them at their worst. And you can't do that when you consider the same dudes just weeks before they went on that tournament run got beat by 22 on the road at Wake Forest and beat by 28 by Miami. Now that feels like ancient history, but I honestly, those road problems that North Carolina's had, hasn't really been figured out yet. North Carolina, 0-3 in true road games so far this year. Fortunately for them, coming back to your question of the tournament, you don't have to play on the road when you're in the NCAAs. 
And certainly they can get hot and go in that type of run again because you are talking about many of those same dudes. But I don't. I wouldn't bank on it just because the three-point shooting of Brady Manick, what he brought to last year's team, hasn't really been replicated yet, not with Pete Nance and not really with anybody else that makes me think they have the perimeter shooting to make that deep run again. Josh, Wes Bryant here. When you look at Wake Forest, though, last year this team was built around Alondas Williams and Jake LaRavia, but this season Tyree Appleby is the guy. Do you feel like that this is more of a team in the sum of its parts and not relying on the two guys that they did last year, or do you feel like this team is too Appleby-centric, and do you think that they have a chance uh, to make some noise? What's your assessment of this team? See, here's what's crazy to me, um, uh, uh, Wes, is that you look at what Steve did a year ago, Steve Forbes, that won him the ACC player, uh, Coach of the Year. It was bringing in two guys in the portal that were able to be all ACC caliber players. Alondis Williams, Player of the Year, as you mentioned, Jake LaRavia, who's doing a nice job with the Grizzlies right now, first-round draft pick that was second-team all ACC. He, Steve Forbes did it again in the portal by bringing in Ty Appleby, who's another ball-heavy point guard, top three in the ACC in scoring right now, near the top in assists, and Andrew Carr has been an impact player who might be second, third team, all ACC caliber when it's all said and done as well. But the part that Forbes doesn't get enough credit for, everybody focuses on what he's done in the portal, but doesn't really pay attention to the fact that we're seeing his first few class of high school players that he's brought in start to blossom into really good players like Cam Hildreth and Matthew Marsh, who both come from the UK and have turned into real guys in the league or in the ACC. Cam Hildreth already has a triple double this year. Really good defender. Matthew Marsh near the top in all of college basketball and field goal percentage. This team is more than just Ty Appleby, but Forbes does deserve a lot of credit for once again being able to identify guys who have a skill set that can fit into what he wants to do and elevate their play. Alondis Williams averaged six points a game at Oklahoma before arriving at Wake Forest and averaging 19 the year after. And you look at Ty Appleby, he averaged 10 a game at Florida last year, and right now is averaging 18 a game. Forbes has a knack for recognizing talent in the portal, and he's done it again for the second straight year. And then going up to Riley, you look at Coach Keats and the crew getting that big win over Duke. How much did you make of that? And do you feel like Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner are uh, arguably the best point guard? I mean, the best backcourt uh, in the ACC? It's it's either Baby T. There's there's probably three tandems that would be in that conversation: Baby T and uh, Jarkel and Riley, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis in North Carolina. And probably you'd look at Nigel Pack and uh, uh, Isaiah Wong at Miami. Those are the three tandems that stand out to me right now. But that was a must-win for NC State. I know it's, you could look at their record and think, uh, it's a little bit of a leap to say that. That, was the, that might end up being the only quad one opportunity they get at home this year. Since Virginia doesn't go there and... As of right now, as crazy as it sounds with Miami's record, they're not a quad one when they go to Raleigh. And they don't – Virginia Tech, they, right now, North Carolina, we don't know for sure if that's going to be a quad one for a home game. That, that was an opportunity at home to get a quad one win, and they did it. And they came so close at other times in the non-conference when they went up against Kansas in the battle for Atlantis. And I guess it was a conference game, but it was in December. They went to Miami and were leading in the second half of it. 
they remind me a lot of Wake Forest last year, where they had a week out of conference schedule. They've surprised some folks, particularly with the talent in their backcourt, of putting up some wins and having a really good record. But it's going to be defined. They're going to be defined by what they do in quad one settings. And Wednesday night was their first quad one win. They needed to get it. So now they're still in position. They're still in the hunt to potentially be in that large team. Josh, just real quickly before we get you out of here, your concern level over Duke after the loss to NC State, what is it? Not not particularly high. That's going to happen with a first-year coach. I, I referenced Carolina last year and Hubert's first season where you, you had the blowout 30-point loss against Kentucky. You had the games in, in Winston-Salem and in Miami. It, winning on the road is hard. It's a cliche that people say, but it's a cliche because it's true. And Sometimes it's hard to stop the bleeding, particularly when you have really young teams. It's a difficult thing when you're a freshman and you miss out a lot on the offseason and the ramp-up time leading up to a year. We saw it with Walker Kessler at Carolina a few years ago who missed a lot of the preseason, and then he starts to blossom when February and March roll around. We saw it with uh, Jason Tatum at Duke who took a little bit of time to figure things out because he missed some practice. We saw it last year with A.J. Griffin at Duke. And with Tariq Whitehead, he broke his hand in February, or excuse me, in August, and didn't come back until November. And I think the ramp up for him is going to be an interesting thing, how quickly he could get up to speed. It's crazy to say that in January, but that is where we're at. Can he have enough ramp up to reach his potential by the end of the year? That's a big question. And Derek Lively missed some time in the preseason too. So those two freshmen coalescing together – and starting to ramp up that to where they're hopefully playing their best basketball when March rolls around, that's what you're hoping for for Duke. But right now, I don't think it's a huge concern. They have enough talent where they can get by. They're going to be in the tournament. They're going to be a pretty high seed. But if they want to be a national title contender, those two need to be playing their best basketball. And right now, they're not very really close. I just opened up the crumble box. I expected like five cookies. And there's like 12 or 13 individually wrapped. It's absolutely ridiculous. We have to go to break, but Josh, that was excellent. We appreciate you joining us. Everybody follow him on Twitter at Josh Graham radio, and you can find him on WSJS. Josh, thanks so much. Once again, man, really appreciate it. I'm going to be texting Jeff immediately to send me some crumble cookies. He might just, yeah, he might, he might just break in the studio and hand them to you. That's what happened to us. So good luck with all of that. Once again, Josh Graham on the body works plus guest hotline. Fantastic stuff. We got to go to break. It's Wesson Walker sports radio, 92.7. 7FM.